Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And this is episode 221. This week we're continuing our recognition here on the show of uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, mm-hmm. which is happening all May long. Uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a first time listener here on the on the show, uh, you know we've we've done two episodes now, uh, of varying topics. I mean, we've re- we've really sort of spanned. A wide a wide range just with our first two episodes we started with bruce lee with the mm-hmm. way of the dragon and then we transitioned to the joy luck club mm-hmm. which is 90s filmmaking in minari uh which is 2020 2021 so it's been an interesting ride very different tones and textures uh joy luck club for me i don't think we really talked about this much when we when we did the episode felt very this is a 90s award season adaptation of a novel you know kind of like how the english patient oh no yeah really really very elaborate narration and yeah no reason you know like i i still i still you know my opinion it still remains of it could have been shorter yeah (laughs) and if if you want to know more Go, go back to, and listen. Yes, of course. Uh, this week, we're, of course, continuing that, and we're we're doing a little bit of a different thing. We're going to go, and we're going to do documentary work for um, the, the episode. And so we'll be looking at a... I think they actually might have both been on TV, but one is, one is a film, and one is a, an independent film... And then one is, like, a direct aired on TV, like a cable broadcast kind of TV documentary. Interesting. Um, And so, uh, we'll also, of course, be talking about some news with y'all. The Netflix layoffs that happened this week. uh, The She-Hulk trailer, maybe some other things. Uh, But before we get too far into that, I guess, I don't know if we've talked about it too much on the show... How do you, how do you I guess you know feel about documentaries overall? What's your what's like your your I guess long term opinion on on documentaries? Because I don't think most people realize that like a lot of the educational programming that we grew up watching like counts in in the documentary range. I love documentaries. Um, I grew up watching like. Steve Irwin. Oh yeah, with um, with like Animal Planet shows are all documentary based because it's all real live animals. You know, it's no staged stuff happening. They just work a narrative that we can understand around the things that are happening. Um, but other than that, I thought that's that's all real. These are all real animals. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I love documentaries. I find documentaries fascinating. Documentaries can be really um, informative, and um, I always like having a kind of like quick way of of getting like a new bit of information. I guess if that makes sense. Um, you know, getting to to trial something instead of you know buying the book, I get to I get to watch it on a on a on a movie or you it's know. It's like a guest lecture kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. I get to try on, you know, this profession or or this lifestyle for for a little bit and get like an authentic 
view of it instead of whatever it, Hollywood's version of of this looks like, which is which isn't real. Um, and I find documentaries more, I guess, reliable than um, than let's say like reality television. Yeah, which is complete fiction. Still scripted. Yeah, exactly. And like for this, it's it's scripted nonfiction. Yeah, exactly. Where this is kind of like you you have a goal for your documentary. You have an endpoint that you have in mind, and then you just kind of see what happens. Basically, you know, if you put yourself in this situation, what's going to happen next? If I'm filming my my the this pride of lions in the Sahara and I follow them around for a little bit, what's going to happen? Or I don't know if lions are in the Sahara, but um, or you know, if I if I put myself in in crazy situations and I film that you know what a Borat was partially a documentary (laughs) uh that I think that's maybe I guess potentially going back into like the the scripted reality kind of oh yeah for sure I mean partially considering the fact that like they're the only ones being scripted yeah but like the rest of it is they're in on the joke the rest of it is is sort of just reaction pure reaction kind of yeah stuff. exactly um no yeah so I was really pumped about this this week getting to watch some some documentaries especially the fact that like these documentaries are just completely night and day of, of yeah. content as well no absolutely um but I think they also go back, you know, I, I think that they're both night and day in terms of, you know, what they're talking about. But they're all all also getting back to, because I looked at the age of both people that are involved in this documentary, and they're of the same generation. And so we're also kind of hitting at this, like, very particular mindset of of how life was influencing, you know, two particular... Um, you know, Asian men of of different cultural backgrounds in America, like growing up from from different perspectives and focusing on different issues and no, yeah, um, and like I mean, at the the, the really base storyline of each of these, it's it's a it's a you know we just want to be treated as people kind of kind of narratives, yeah, you know, um, which is which is really relatable and it's it's really interesting to you know to get to. To get to view this lens into a world that, like, I've I've never really gotten much experience into. I feel like in both um, instances, you know, one because I never watched The Simpsons, and two, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, an undocumented individual. Yeah. Um. Well, doc. I I enjoy documentaries a lot. I kind of. You know, I, I, I'm, I grew up watching documentary television a lot, obviously, just like you did. Like we talked about, you know, Discovery and Animal Planet and, and all of those sorts of things. But then eventually I did start to get a little bit more into documentary kind of in high school in, in filmmaking through a class that I took in my junior year. And... I really enjoy documentaries, but it's still it's still not something that I super super engage with. It's mm-hmm. something that I think that I would like to engage more often with than I currently do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting thing, you know. I was. I I don't think that we've ever really talked about like. Documentaries are are, 
no different than essays, right? You know, they have they have different functions, they mm-hmm. have different purposes. And so, you know, you've got poetic documentaries, which are just meant to really evoke like a very specific sort of feeling. You've got expository documentaries, which are meant to, of course, you know, go and um, and just explain something. And usually they also have some sort of point with them or some sort of argument or something like that that they're also trying to make, but not always. Okay. You've got, you know, participatory documentaries, which is where they're really engaged with their subject. It's not this sort of fly-on-the-wall, disassociated kind of thing. They're really, really engaged with it. Okay. Okay. Then you, you've got observational documentaries, uh, which are, of course, fly-on-the-wall documentaries. You're watching. Mm-hmm. You're observing. You've got reflexive documentaries, which are all about... And these are a little bit more sort of avant-garde, right? It's about the relationship between the movie and the medium and the, and, and, and the people consuming it. Okay. It's very much aware of the fact that it is a film, and it's kind of like about that sort of, almost like the joke that they're making about um, Abed the movie in Community, when Abed becomes a prophet... And it becomes a movie about the making of the movie. Yes. Kind of like that. Um, okay. Kind of like... Um, oh gosh, what's that? What's that Wes Anderson movie? Um, the one with Bill Murray, the one, he's the sea The Life Aquatic. Yeah, Life Aquatic. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, because it's it's the, the movie about the making of this documentary. Yeah. And so it's sort of a documentary equivalent of that. Okay. Uh, and then you also have performative, which are, again, it's kind of a little bit more of like an avant-garde sometimes sort of thing. You're doing something very specifically where, where you're documenting that and, and, and you're putting that specifically on there. So like supersize me. Oh God. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, I guess like I was saying earlier, you know, putting, putting yourself through, crazy things in order to 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 get some kind of reaction to it whether it be good or bad i mean like the super size me movie even though it's i guess it hasn't it been debunked now um he his results have not been recreated i mean that's weird um that raises an eyebrow but you know for the time it was it was kind of like a, like a scientific documentary almost. You know, you had a hypothesis and he he went through the experiment in a controlled environment and he got yeah. his results and he it filmed. It was a little experiment of one. Yeah, exactly. So, with with this this topic on documentary, of course, also I think brings us back to, on a certain level, modern consumption habits as well because... One of the easy things to go and kind of grab are documentaries, because a lot of people make documentaries and and look for distribution. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of people that go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a production house where we make documentaries, 
and get rich off of that. No, Usually, it's kind of like like journalism. You know, you are a writer with with a story, and, and you get you... grants to go and fund some of your filming. Yeah, yeah. You know, no. I mean, that makes that makes perfect sense. You know. And and so with that brings us to the streaming age where people are always going out to try and find things to put onto platforms. And so documentaries are also a part of that that sort of and nonfiction programming in general. So cooking shows, stuff like the stuff that we're going to talk about later, comedy stand-up specials, all of these kinds of things are also things that they go and they try and pull under into into the streaming age. And so the benefit of, of the streaming age is that there's a lot of stuff out there. It is behind paywalls, so you do have to be cognizant of the fact that like it's not necessarily accessible to everyone. But there is a wide breadth of stuff that has never been available to anyone before, more available than it would have been otherwise. In a, in a, in a, a kind of like... I want to try it kind of way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where I always get frustrated with like buying books, right? Um, where you go out and you like read the description of it and you're like, oh, I guess I gotta just kind of go for it or whether or not I'm going to like this book or not. And I feel like that's kind of how the documentary scene was before the accessibility of the digital age and being able to just go, well, it's on Netflix. <laughs> and so one thing that I wanted to bring up since we are talking about a, uh, API filmmaking and heritage, things like that. I was looking up stuff and I noticed, as I mentioned, I think back in the first episode, you know, an AAPI heritage tab on one of the streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I would go and do sort of like a little bit of a dive into that and some of that information, some of those statistics, because a lot of streaming platforms have that, regardless sort of of whatever their motivation is for for having that, a lot of streaming platforms go and pick up just a whole bunch of stuff in the name of then being able to say, we have diversity. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like the rainbow washing effect of, of things. We can successfully say that we have any number of, you know, content available to anybody. No, yeah. I mean, I felt that with, like, Disney and Black um, Black History Month, where they were like, these are our five things, and then they started to just pull things out of the weeds. It's really, <laughs> it's really funny you mention that. We'll get to that in a second. So I was looking at some actual stuff, and I, I decided to go and look at some of the things that were available and some of the information and history that I could find. So what's interesting that I did notice was that Netflix made theirs, or if they didn't make it last year, they made a big deal about it one year ago. Mm -hmm. So it's really about a year ago, which is really also, I feel like, when the Stop Asian Hate kind of thing, or not thing, but movement was really kicking off on social media also coincides kind of with, like, Netflix well, yeah, they always, <laughs> they always, you know, it's it's a hyper reactive thing where whatever's whatever's hot in the news right now, you you pick a side and you pick it hard, and and Netflix was like, we are totally here for our brothers, you know. <laughs> and so they not only made their collection last year, they also went and made a commercial for it. 
Oh, there's a commercial? And they, they did like a little ad campaign. Oh, that's fantastic. For their AAPI Heritage Collection. Oh, gosh. I want it to still be just five movies, though. <laughs> they so, went through all this effort and didn't have anything. I decided that I would go and do just some very quick, not the world's most in-depth, but little sort of investigating and, and, and poking around into this. Mm-hmm. And I used the streaming services that I have available. Mm-hmm. And I am I have eight available. Shutter didn't want to work. So this data is pulled off of seven streaming sites. Oh, gosh. Seven, eight, nine. So all but seven of the streaming platforms that I looked at had some kind of uh, Asian American Pacific Islander heritage collection. The only one that didn't was Apple TV, both in the terms of Apple TV Plus and the movies and TV collection of where you can go and purchase or rent things. If it was there, I just didn't see it, but I poked around and I didn't see it. That does kind of make sense for Apple TV Plus, though, because it is just Apple TV Plus original content, and they've been around for, like, three years. Well, and honestly, you know, um, if... If you don't have it on, like, your home page, then, like, don't even worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, if you couldn't find it and you poked around, as you as you put it, I think that that was probably far enough poking to go, no, they don't have anything here. Because if, if you're really going to put it, like, on the back row... That's fair. <laughs> what's the point? So... Of the ones that did, the largest and easiest library to search was HBO Max. Mm -hmm. HBO Max is the only one that allowed you to look A to Z at every single one that they had. Just sort of uninterrupted, no category headings. You can just start at the top and go to the bottom. I can respect that. I can respect that. It had 201 titles in that A to Z block. Uh, film and television shows. Well, HBO Max is enormous, honestly. So, beyond that, I went and looked at some of the other ones, and a lot of the other ones had the sort of long scrolling bar, like the Netflix thing, you know, or Uh, Hulu. And so for those, it was kind of hard to get an accurate total on how many you had because you would run into repeats in some of the bars and you couldn't just go and look at a whole section so then what I ended up doing was I just looked at whatever the top row was and I counted how many things were in that top row okay uh, as just sort of like a how many are in their top row you know this is supposed to be the thing that if this is where you start this is you know our best display kind of a thing Uh, And so I scrolled around and looked at some of those. And the shortest featured top list was on Discovery Plus. It had 15 programs in its top list. It had more programs if you poked around, but it also still had some repeats further down. And just that initial top list was only 15 titles long. Beyond that, the longest featured list was Amazon Prime, uh, Prime Video, which had 58 titles uh, available. 
Disney Plus had them all in one sort of large block, but they had a few little subheadings, and grand total, they only had 61 titles. I'm sure that some of those are stretches. So, well, and it's funny that you mentioned some of them being stretches, because on top of that, you also had a few things like in both Hulu and Amazon Prime, the movie Sideways showed up. Are you familiar with the movie Sideways at all? No. The movie Sideways is by director Alexander Payne, and it is about two white guys who go to California wine country for his, for the one, for one guy's bachelor party. And they both end up having these sort of affairs while in, in California for, for the married guy. It's, it's just sort of a fling and it's chaotic for his best man it's him trying to get over the fact that he's sort of miserable. And it's about those two guys played by Thomas Hayden Church and Paul Giamatti. And then our two lead women are Sandra O, oh, our Asian woman, and Virginia Madsen, a white woman. So three of our four leads are white people. I mean, they might as well just say that, like, Grey's Anatomy is also a part of the AAPI watch cycle because of the the one character. You know, it is Sandra Oh, and if you wanted to go and watch Sandra Oh's career as a part of that, it would count. But also on a certain level, if we're talking about, like, celebrating the heritage of a people, I'm not sure that Sideways, where Sandra Oh is the, the woman that Thomas Hayden Church has an affair with his wife on, um or a affair on his wife with is really necessarily like something that qualifies. And then it was also, of course, on two different streamers. Well, I think that that's really interesting um, because of the fact that like, okay, then by that same metric, um, Black Panther is a white movie because of its one white character. Am I, am I, am I hearing this correctly? <laughs> Black Panther is, is a story about white people for white people because of Bilbo Baggins. White pride. That's right. Okay, um, I was just I just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to spell that one out real quick for you. Well, and then also I was looking at it and you know, some of them are also I think things that are just sort of funny like one movie that I saw, you know, was again like Shanghai Nights, Shanghai Noon, but then I also saw furthermore than that um The Scorpion King. <laughs> which does have admittedly two AAPI leads. It well, has... yeah, but they're playing Egyptians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's what? <laughs> so I had I had a real fun sort of poking around through all of that, but then furthermore on top of that, I decided to go and pull up some hard data. So I went and, and decided to poke around at a few different sources beyond what I uh, had already looked at. And so one of the things that I found, it wasn't related to Asian American heritage, but it was related to streaming services and uh, the uh, Black History Heritage kind of tabs that they have. Mm Mm-hmm. And so with that tab, they went and they did an examination of all of the content available. 
and they looked at the films and the TV shows in Black History Month or Black Stories or Black Lives Matters tabs and looked at the percentage of the movies and shows in those that actually had a black director or writer or creator. And so in Disney Plus, only 17% of their TV shows that were under this sort of, you know, black celebration tab had a black creator, producer, <laughs> showrunner, writer. And wow. only 45% of the movies did. Oh, that's really, that's really a bummer. Honestly, like, looking at these numbers, Netflix is looking really good. <laughs> yeah, comparatively, it's 62% and 75 And I think that that's really interesting also that, like, no offense, 62% is considered a good number if you look at it. Well, yeah, I mean, comparatively speaking, but, like, it is a, more than half. But, but also, it still isn't three quarters. Oh, no, and the highest number is three quarters. It's 75%. So that means that there's still a 25%. But, like, I I, I would, I like 75%. I, wish I think they that were, that's acceptable. I wish that it was kind of, you know, in the 60s to 70s all the way across. The fact that it's, like, literally just, like, going downstairs almost. Yeah. That's really it's, sad. And And Disney, you know, definitely comes in real, real low on on that front. But also, if I'm not mistaken, Disney in general also just did not have that many. It only had 37 pieces of content. One of those is The Color of Friendship. Yeah, for sure. Which is probably one of the things also written by a white person. So, so that was one thing that I wanted to bring up. Another thing that I wanted to bring up actually came from Nielsen, who does the TV ratings. Yes. And all of that is focused around representation of different groups on screen based on percentage of screen time mm -hmm. across different platforms. So broadcast, the, the, the big five that come to your TV, cable, and then straight to video. Okay. Or, or streaming and video on demand, rather. And so if you go and look at some of those numbers, you know, you look at, at some of them... And even though, like, here's a great example, in terms of when we talk about parity or equality of, mm -hmm. of numbers, right? Uh, women are 50% of the U.S. population. However, on broadcast TV, they only make up 43% of stories. Now, you may say, you only take up 43% of, of screen time. So that's also not even necessarily them being, I guess, the lead of their story. They just take up... 43% of screen time. Well, that just means that most most shows are male-centric because who gets the most screen time in their own show? It's the lead. So then you go down, and I was looking at some of the other ones, and we started to look at some of the other breakdowns, and they go really far down. They have South Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, and they break it down as South Asians make up Less than a whole percent of broadcast TV screen time. Yeah. Less than a, or one whole percent of cable TV screen time and one whole percent of streaming and video on demand uh, screen time. Then you go down and you look at Southeast Asian and across all three categories, they make up less than one percent. 
Wow. And then, of course, you have East Asian. Now, East Asian people are the, of all types of Asian American Pacific Islander people, East Asian are the most dominant group in... Representation? uh, Yeah. And so they make up the most out of all three of these groups at 2%, 1. 1.4%, and 2.8%. And these are recently produced stats. These are from 2021. So I decided to then go and, and do a little bit of a, of a look further, and I decided to go and pull up some census data from the U.S. Census Bureau. And so when you're looking at the population, the population of female persons in America, 50.8. Amazing. You look uh, here, they don't necessarily get as specific with their breakdowns of Asian. Asian across the board uh, is just 5%. I mean, 6. Yeah, it's 5.9. You are correct. It's essentially 6. So, uh, then you go back and you look at these numbers and you go, even if we say that, you know, East Asians are overrepresented in these Nielsen numbers. Well, I mean, even, even if you add all of these numbers together, we're still, still not hitting not, 5%. We're not hitting 5% in any category. And, and then you also uh, have that's to really think, interesting. you have to apply some of these men and, and women numbers also then into these categories. Mm-hmm. So I mean, also maybe in the straight to video of... category, but like that's probably the only one that you're you're getting full representation in. Mm-hmm. And and so then you also have to think about the fact that once you get into the these stories and that sort of thing, you also have to think about the fact that then it's also being divvied up into men and women and you know different uh you know orientations and preferences of representation and and all of these other sort of sub breakdowns and so it all starts to feel like you know very very closed in Mm -hmm. in terms of of where you're going to find someone and go that looks like me (laughs) i mean i'm honestly like in the past like 15 years i've seen more people on screen that looked like me than i ever did growing up which is nice but it's almost like really weird like this is this must be how (laughs) this must be how white people feel all of the time (laughs) where they're like wow everybody looks exactly like i do yay uh but i thought that you would really enjoy some of that sort of diagnostic breakdown of some of this information and i thought that would also really help and be relevant to some of the conversation we're going to have Mm -hmm. moving forward with our two movies yes so the two movies that we're talking about today are the documentaries Documented from 2013 and The Problem with Apu from 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, they tell very different stories, um, but again, they also do get back to that, that sort of core heart idea of, of what, is, what is a human experience and how do I want to be perceived as a human? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and who is shaping that narrative and how and some of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I guess if, if you're ready to, to go on into it. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So first up is the 2013 film Documented. 
which comes from Jose Antonio Vargas. Mm-hmm. He is a Filipino-American. He came to America when he was 12 years old. We'll find out a lot about his story when we talk about, or if you watch, documented. I mean, I mean, I think that everybody should watch both of these, honestly. But I think that this one is the more, like, heartbreaking, n- impactful one. Yeah. And so that's the very broad strokes about him. He's a journalist. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he won his Pulitzer, I looked into it, for a series of pieces that he did with a team about the Virginia Tech shootings. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Light bulbs are going off everywhere now. I had never heard of this man before, um, but that does sound very familiar because so I was right over there. You were, yeah. I mean, that was back in 2007. Mm-hmm. So... He was one of the journalists who covered the Virginia Tech shooting in 2007. He won his Pulitzer in 2008 along with the others. He has worked at Washington Post. He's worked at Huffington Post. He's been published in various other places. He has also done other documentaries, including The Other City and a docu-show on MTV called White People that was all about white privilege. Interesting. And he is the producer he's one of the producers of the tony nominated broadway show what the constitution means to me oh i have i've i that's a that's a broadway show that i walked past every single day going to work and went i have no idea what that's about (laughs) (laughs) and i've never once looked into it (laughs) well now i know that that he's a part of it maybe i should so, Documented came out in June 21st, 2013. It's an hour, 29 minutes. It is directed by Anne Lupo and Jose Antonio Vargas. It is written by Jose Antonio Vargas. And the plot, it's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful. There's not a condensed plot synopsis, so you're just gonna have to, you're just gonna have to deal with what I got. Oh, is it like a whole paragraph? Yeah. Ooh, fun. Let's do it. In 2011, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jose Antonio Vargas outed himself as an undocumented immigrant in the New York Times magazine. Documented Documented chronicles his journey to America from the Philippines as a child, his public struggle as an immigration reform activist provocateur, and his journey inward as he reconnects with his mother, whom he hasn't seen in 20 years. A broken immigration system leads to broken families and broken lives. I mean, he was a writer. <laughs> so, like, it, it only seems right for them to literally give him, like, a book ending for his, his documentary. Fair. So, that's the broad strokes of it. Um... And now I will turn the discussion over to you, dear. What did you think of Documented? Um, Were you familiar with his story back when he came out as an undocumented immigrant in in 2011? No, I mean, I vaguely recall um, this, you know, being a part of the, of the, the talk. I guess, you know, the water cooler talk, as it were. But, like, I didn't watch the news. Um, you know, I was busy being senior year of, of high school and whatnot and 
figuring out the life's next steps. Like, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, and right after that, I guess you were then moving to Virginia as well. Yeah, so it was just kind of like, I didn't, I didn't really, it didn't phase my radar really at all. Um, maybe a blip, but I never read the article myself personally and we weren't we didn't subscribe to that magazine or anything so it wasn't like it was coming you know it wasn't like in in new york walking down the street seeing this catch your eye and then buying this magazine like we were in the suburbs (laughs) you know um so no no this this was a complete like new beginning for me um this story his life honestly i i feel bad that I've really never heard of him and he's like a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and you know is is everybody apparently knows this guy and I feel a little left out but that's okay because I did that to myself (laughs) um but the doc uh the documentary itself is 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 a as a necessary watch I think as an American um or just as a as a human being you know I think that this it was it was hard in in places for sure to to watch because like I wouldn't know what to do and I didn't feel too far I guess off from like how old he is currently in this film in 2013 and like where we are in our lives right now you know this could have easily been like my story yeah he'd have been close to our age 10 years ago he's 41 42 right now well yeah but i meant like at this point no in that's his life I mean. when yeah, he's like so... fighting this fight yeah yeah so he's 10 only... years ago he'd have been 31 he's... 32 yeah i think that that's where they in the the documentary is like he, him being 32 years old because he had just turned yes he had turned like he this is like years of of documentary footage um i mean like and it's 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 like it's one of those stories where you're just kind of like like it's truly a win some lose some kind of situation where like they they get this bill passed but like only for some people you know only for a certain age range and that's just kind of it's just such a bummer still because it's it's still it's not enough and and I think that this documentary is just a beautiful representation of like really good storytelling as well and good mood setting is um. Because, like, I was completely immersed in this the the entire time. I, I wanted to know what was going to happen. And because I knew that it was a documentary, I knew that, you know, it could go any way. It could, it could be a happy ending or it could be a sad ending. And this is just the story that we're being told. Yeah. I... I think this movie... I think the story is incredibly ambitious. I mean his in his entire life story and many of the things that he has done up to this point in in his life when when the movie comes out a lot of that stuff could have easily filled an hour and a half of its own time mm-hmm. and so i think that you're right i think that it it tells a still very relevant message i mean we're still dealing with immigration as a very hot button topic in american politics right now mm-hmm. you know it's still talked about as one of the things that is going to influence you know the midterm elections coming up and the presidential elections coming up mm-hmm. and so the immigration you know situation has not 
cleared or clarified in any kind of way. And I think that the one thing that this movie does really, really succeed at and um, I, I think hits the mark at is putting that sort of very just plain human face on the problem. Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't necessarily try and get... It doesn't try to get too informative into a lot of, like, the nuts and bolts of how the immigration problem, such as it is, got to here. No, it's it's more of like a... It's here, we're living it, and the and we can't get out of it, you know, kind of situation. Like, we don't ever get, like, a history lesson, but you do feel the, the constant weight of, like, you know, what if it's today kind of thing happening? What if they, what if they catch me? Yeah. But I am an American. And, you know, I mean, I know people who, I know lots of people who are you know, first generation born here in America or second generation born here in America. And, like, I know that even in the last few years, times have been stressful enough for them, even with some of their parents who who came here the right ways, there has been a lot of stress and a lot of struggle. And so to your point of, of like, the problems here, we're just living with it. I think that that definitely is, is what it's kind of hitting at. Um... I think I think it maybe sometimes assumes that you are a little bit more familiar with some of the machinations than I think it maybe should assume that most people are familiar with. I think it maybe could have had a little bit more in there just somewhere up front explaining some of like the process in a little bit more of an elaborative way. Than I think we ever really fully get. I think that I think that that's a very valid point, but I also think that um, I like the way that they kind of frame it as like, you know, there are no options, and that's why we don't get. And he does go through like that brief no, for sure. part in the in the film where where he breaks down like why he doesn't qualify. No, for sure. I guess showing. I guess in full what most people think the right way is you know versus like what the actual process is in like a really full way and we do get a few moments of it he talks one of my favorite moments was when he talks about why his mom can't come can't come that for me was like a really really interesting moment where i was very very fascinated by like the very quick simple policy decisions that like completely excluded someone from coming well that's why i liked the fact that like the the literal three like tree bullet line thing that he made for why he didn't qualify like it literally was as simple as two questions and being like i can't even make it past this first page yeah that's it that's done and it's done for so many people because of x yeah you know and i and I also enjoyed, um, you know, him him being so willing to talk to people who have an opposing opinion as well and willing to, to just kind of put himself as, as the poster child for this because, one, it is his life, so he's not living a falsehood, but two, he does have the, the, the access and, and the ability and, and the recognition to to get to into these places to do something that something like this that's that you know the average person 
can't do and, and you know willing to put yourself in a risky situation in order to to make a point because there was never a point in this movie where I was like no he's 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 definitely an American yeah you know like there was never a point like I looking at his old high school photos and stuff I was like yeah that's that's Northwest right there you know this he could have been easily been at our school yeah there's there's no you know it doesn't matter but the fact that and also I thought it was really interesting the fact that they they really frame the the immigration um topic as like a it is an issue if you are of color because that that old lady talking about the fact that her 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 uh granddaughter or whatever from from England could could come over and and oh they just she just had to explain that she had a good job basically and like that was it and they were like yep sign her on she's in a she's an american citizen whereas like you know he's been living here his entire life he has a very distinguished career and literally he can't get past step two because of not being white or not being from a checklist of approved um locations well and and one of the things that he ended up getting involved he's undocumented he's also gay and one of the things that he also got very involved with was the the fight for marriage equality mm-hmm. and for him part of his framing device for why he was so in favor of it beyond his own well not beyond his own but in conjunction with his own perspective as a gay man was the fact that it's partially an immigration issue because if there's no marriage equality then also gay immigrants and lesbian immigrants and things like that they can't then come and marry into citizenship well yeah no um i was also because like the other step on when the list was like have a child in in america have a biological child basically in on american soil and like you know, unless he was willing to to put himself through like doing that, there was really no chance of of that ever happening. Unless you know, maybe he had a surrogate. Yeah. But like, again, like there's just there you are limiting the options. You're limiting the the people here for for a very heteronormative mindset because it was like you you could marry into the states, but. Would you be willing to put yourself into a into a marriage that you didn't? Because also choose. they can revoke that status. Like it's not as simple as agree to it and marry and sign off on the forms. If you know immigration services in any sense mm-hmm. decides that they want to poke and prod this thing, they don't think that it's genuine. Yeah, you can end up in in trouble, and so can the person that helped you. Yeah. No. So. It's not necessarily the the best system, and I think that that is really where it highlights it. It's also just the the pure frustration and also the the compromises that for you know some people in Washington seemed like an okay compromise. We won't make it anyone over thirty. We'll just make it for the people that are young. 
Which I you think know. that is it, because we shouldn't we shouldn't you know take them out of school was their was their thought process you know let's make like 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 public school is is making generations better you know that's the only thing that's doing it guys it's just the public school system that's why we don't give it any money in certain areas and, and so I think that like the the thirty age cap it oh gosh it it made me so mad. Because, also, you know, I guess, little spoilers, but if anyone was paying attention and doing any kind of math, they realized that he was, he didn't qualify. Yeah. Um, which is such a, which is such a bummer, because, like, we would just qualify. Mm-hmm. And, like, if, if this had been you, you have a December birthday, we would, like, have to get you, like, done now, or yeah. else, like, you would, you would be, you would age out in six months. Yeah. Six months time. So hope it doesn't take that long either. You know, you know? I, 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 I guess this isn't like a better solution. But why don't they do it like for a percentage of your life that you've spent on this on this area? You know what I mean? If like you've yeah. spent ninety percent of your life here, but now you don't qualify. You know, you don't hit an age cap. Like I think that you should still, you know, in the mindset of crazy people who don't want to give people true rights, I think that this is better than just being like, well, it, for the children. <laughs> Save the orphans. <laughs> like, my gosh. Um, no, I think that's all... I think that's all honestly completely fair. Um, so, if you had to rate uh, Documented out of five, what would you give Documented? Honestly, i give Documented a five. I think that this was really, like, a stellar piece of... Piece of um, journalism, a very interesting documentary. Um, it... It it kept my attention all the way to the end, and like I think the emotional um, connection was was really powerful, at least for for myself. Um, for this, I I really I really felt for um, Jose. I thought that his his story and the, his willingness to put himself out there for 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 his art, but for his people, for his for himself. You know, I thought that it was just truly good media is 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 based in the heart and i think that that this this deserves that no for sure i think it's it's very heartbreaking and there are so many ways in which it is very frustrating at times and i think i also give him a lot of credit for being very honest about how complicated his feelings are with his mother. Yes, yes. Because I don't know how many people... Would have been willing to put themselves into such a negative light, honestly. Like, he was at fault. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, I'll never be able to understand his struggle, his perspective in in that area, but, like knowing knowing how much you know like my parents mean to me and how much certain people in my life mean to me but also knowing that that I can sometimes really struggle for for my own different reasons of just being bad at making that contact you know of of making that that reach out mhm you know it could be a little bit frustrating to see some of that echoed um and and I think that that was really really bold and and really pretty pretty brave to to put that out there. 
Um, but it also, I, I think, it doesn't end... That, that element of the story doesn't end in tragedy in any means either. And so no. I think that, that also redeems it from ever really, like, bottoming out the story. And so I think that I'd probably end up giving it a... I think that I'll probably give it, like, a four and a half. I think that that's fair. Ugh, it broke my heart when she was like, it's just a friend request. Oh, a, a, a fucking Facebook request. And, like, oh, it just, it broke me down. I, I, I felt her, her absolute pain in that moment. And I guess that's what I meant when I was like, you know, he, he is, yeah. he, he was being like a, a bad son. Like she was, she was still writing and sure there was no chance of her ever coming to the States. And like, maybe she did want to cushion that a little bit for him. Cause he was, he was 12 when he left, you know, a few more years, you know, what's the harm in that? Like, yes, that's a bad mindset, but like, no, I, I get what yeah, it, but you know, like you said, it, it's, it's not tragic to the end, no. you know? So, yes. Um, and so I think we'll we'll sort of go ahead and, and wrap that up and move yeah. on to our next film, which is the 2017 The Problem with Apu. Uh, it came out um, November 18th, 2017. It's the, it's the work of Indian American comedian Hari Kondabalu. Um, he's from Flushing, Queens. Amazing. And he has a master's in human rights. Fascinating. That's yeah, awesome. Right? Um, he has been in stand up since 2006, and part of his old stand up routine included him reading the U.S. citizenship application aloud amazing um he's got five comedy albums he's got multiple specials and he has appeared on podcasts uh including politically reactive which has three seasons or four seasons and he's a rotating host or he's one of the rotating hosts on a show called the bugle uh like i said it came out november 18th it runs for 49 minutes it's available on hulu yes and the premise is, or plot, is comedian Hari Kondabalu confronts his cartoon nemesis, Apu Nahasa Pimapetalan, the Indian convenience store owner from The Simpsons, and the larger issue of how Western culture depicts Southeast Asian communities. You can tell that neither of us have ever watched, like, The Simpsons like mm. that, because... <laughs> I've been staring at this name. I don't know name. what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I just know that the last part is like Petalon. Uh, and it is directed by Michael uh, Melmadoff. So I guess I'll go ahead and start this. Okay. Since you started the last one. See. I don't think I have ever in my entire life seen a single whole entire episode of the simpsons start to finish <laughs> front to back don't think it's ever happened uh, i don't think i just wanted to start there <laughs> what's my opinion on it fuck it what's my opinion on on uh matt Groening's work overall i've seen random episodes of futurama some have been better than others 
I watched that fantasy show that he did, Disenchantment. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Um, it had one bit that was really, really good with a cop chase in season one. But, like, other than that, the whole thing was a little bit of a wash for me. Oh, um, hilarious. So, like, what the, the cultural reference point for all of this is, I don't get what people are fucking on about. You know, I go to Universal Studios in Hollywood, and I go to Simpsons World, and I go, man, when are they going to tear this shit down? <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, uh, counting down the days. What I are you went talking and, about? People are, people are pumping it into their veins. I went and did the ride. That's the longest Simpsons content oh, I've, I've ever been on watched. The, I've been on the ride, too. was the Simpsons ride content. Uh, Who were those characters? Uh, no reference point. So absolutely hilarious. I was more aware of this, and like some of the backstory of this, and some of the backlash of this, and some of what has come from it, than I really have like a hard understanding, truly, of of anything beyond. There is the Simpsons. There is Homer. There is Bart. There is Marge. There is the baby. There is Lisa. And there is the baby. <laughs> 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 oh gosh absolutely wonderful um so i was very aware of this and watching it i really enjoyed it it kind of hit exactly what i was hoping for from it uh it was much funnier than i guess i thought it was going to be oh yeah i didn't think that it was going to be like hard-hitting journalism but <laughs> like i really had a, there were some legitimately funny as hell moments you know scattered throughout this i mean he couldn't literally he couldn't make something and not have it be funny in some way shape or form no that's it would, it would be point. off brand that's a very fair point um but and and i wasn't really familiar with his work as a stand-up i'd seen some bits of his um but i had never seen like a full a full special of his um of hari's but i thought that he was really really funny I thought that hearing everyone's perspective was really good. I thought that he got some really great guests on. Um, and for the most part, I, I really, really, really thought that... I thought that this was a really great little experiment. And I think ultimately also, again, I think it did exactly what he wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, I really enjoyed this. Um, so, gosh, what was I doing in 2017? Um, apparently not being aware of this. I had no idea that this happened, but also, like, I'm not up on the, the latest Simpsons news either. Um, I guess my relationship with the Simpsons is um, my mother banned it from the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the Karen I know. Uh-huh. Um she she thought that it was absolute dribble that it was it was the worst thing that had ever struck the television and refused to have it on in the in the home um i think that's probably why i drifted to like family guy as like a child as like a rebel thing i was like in the middle of the night watching watching adult swim family guy and i think that if family guy had been on instead of if the simpsons had been on instead of family guy like then i would have probably watched it there but so I never really watched The Simpsons until much later in life, and I've I've now seen episodes of The Simpsons scattered, I think because of access to um, it being on streaming services now and being curious as an adult. 
And um, I'm with you. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> um, I absolutely don't understand. And I think that maybe I needed to be an adult in the times of when The Simpsons was coming out or like the, the, the target demographic when The Simpsons came out in like the, the, the late 90s or Maybe the, you need to the have 80s. the same brain defect that makes you think Friends is funny. I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, because I just, I literally just couldn't care less. I think that it's, I, I think it's fascinating how many, how many crossovers The Simpsons have done, how long this story has lasted for. Oh, they were for. a cultural um, titan. I yeah, mean... it was like, oh gosh, I can't even think of like another touchdown. Like, it's, it's like, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for like 80s kids. Family was... Guy doesn't have a fucking theme park. Family Guy does not have a fucking theme park, <laughs> indeed. Um, and honestly, like, I don't see them getting it because, at, at minimum, the the Simpsons is always trying to to, to trying to do something new. Um, the 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 most of the Simpsons I have ever seen are like the Halloween episodes. I would say, um, I think I enjoy the the Halloween episodes just because it's kind of like a a weird little one off stories here and there using those characters, but. I don't need to like know their inner workings of their their character or their their relationships with anybody to to really get it. Um so this without really a lot of context behind um who this character was other than the fact that like as a person alive during the time of the Simpsons, I knew that Apu was a character on the Simpsons. Like that was pretty much my relationship with this with this character as a concept and I, I didn't know who um Hank Azaria was at all. I had no idea um how many voices he had done in the show. I really I didn't know anything about this show. Um I think it's amazing how many voices he can do. Um I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. And then I think that he should stop if he has not he has. already. Oh okay good good. Thank he's God. he's issued a full throated apology. <laughs> I'm so sorry after watching this and how how much like they they really like begged him to to be a part of it and he was like nah. <laughs> so he, he he wasn't a part of it. I'll I'll let you know a little bit of this. So like he wasn't a part of it in 2017. They tried to materialize some sort of middle ground. That ended up not coming through. They did an episode of the show where they addressed it. But it was kind of crap in mm -hmm. some people's opinion of, of how they addressed it. Because essentially they went, man, something that was once beloved is now considered offensive. Uh, and just kind of like shrug it off and just sort of leave it there. Oh my gosh. Azaria ended up officially coming out and being like, I have offended people. And if it's offending people, then I just need to listen to people and leave the character alone. And he, he quit voicing the character. Uh, eventually, The Simpsons did come out. This was after the George Floyd protests and said that they will no longer have any, in any instance on the show, any non-white character voiced even for a second by a non-white or a white actor. Um, and... Then he also, Hank Azaria, sometime around 2020 and 2021, I believe was on Dax Shepard's podcast mm -hmm. and talked about it and talked about, you know, the harm that he did and and sort of his remorse for that and his taking part in that and perpetuating some of that. 
Well, that's good. Um, so you want to talk about a documentary that maybe didn't get the results that it, he was wanting immediately. Within it, but it, it did happen. You know, yeah. it, it struck a chord enough that people were willing to, to listen, which I think is fascinating that you have to like make something so elaborate in order for to, to wake people up and realize that maybe this isn't the, the right course of action. Um, this was the thing that literally finally got the Simpsons to be like, okay, I guess we're, we're done with this now instead of continuing to make a joke out of a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but that aside, um, I really enjoyed this a lot. I had never heard of Hari before this. Bef- like, I've, I've never seen any of his stand-up or anything like that. I'm not really a big stand-up comedian kind of person. Like, I don't, I don't sit and watch comedy. Yeah, I was about to, I was, comedy. I was thinking about asking or, or addressing that with you was the fact that, like, you know, I, I've seen a little bit of his stuff, not a lot. Um, but I watch more stand-up than you do. Yes. Uh, and and the only reason that I probably haven't watched much lately is mostly just because, like, we don't. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I, I have nothing against stand-up comedy. I For me, it's not... It, it, it might be, like, an environment thing. You know, maybe I need to be in the room with the comedian, like, for it to be funny. But sometimes for me, like, I just don't find, like, watching stand-up comedians, unless they are really good... It's like a, it's gonna be like a painful two hours, you know, for one joke that's funny every ten minutes does not does not land for me. Like I had a really hard time with like the Dave Chappelle ones. So I was like, oof, these are rough. Well, and and neither of us really were like enamored with, and maybe we should try the other cut of it, but the director's cut of Tambourine, the extended cut of Tambourine, Chris Rock stand up special. Oh yeah, right. that that was ugh, it was hard. Highs and lows. So, like, I don't know if I, I'm willing to, like, put myself through that just for, like, a few fun jokes. Like, I think that I've always been more of a, I'll, I'll catch the funny things on the internet later. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else will find the funny things for me and then they'll condense them down into a two-minute bit. And I'll be like, ah, that was the gym right there. We found it. And I didn't have to search for it myself, you know. Let somebody else drudge through the mud. Um... But I really, I, I thought that this was really impactful and really interesting. Um, be, and they made a lot of really interesting points about the character, about representation, and about the fact of why this particular thing has has haunted so many people for so long. Yeah, why this sucks. Yeah, you know, um, this 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 character. I mean, obviously, is 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 every stereotype in the in the book for um, the southeastern Asian individuals. That's that's the correct region, right? Am I saying there? No, South. Crap. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yeah, Southeast Asian. Southeast. Mm-hmm. No, it says what? How? Oh, 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 yes, Western right there. Culture. Western culture depicts South Southeast Asian. Oh my gosh, my map in my brain is 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 all sorts of messed up, but that's okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Don't worry about it. No, yeah, my east and my west were all like just just a just a skew just now. Um, but in in how this representation of southeastern Asian communities didn't, you know, th- this was the only thing that western culture had for what this was, you know. There there were no popular um southeastern Asian content that we were like consuming like madmen in the in the states. We we just had had this pretty crappy impersonation um, of a white man doing doing an Indian accent and 
all of the stereotypes that that ensues from there as the character got more popular um and i'm i'm glad that 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 he he put this out here honestly you yeah. know as cuz for me and you know i guess like we talked about it um on a walk the other day about the fact that like cleveland is kind of similar po- point but not the same because of because of representation because the amount of people who are out there who are an authentic version of this exist for me as a as a black woman cleveland being voiced by a white man doesn't rub me as wrong as as the literal only representation of a culture being being misrepresented like especially for something that's being so viewed by so many people yeah yeah this is this is this is a huge thing and you're you're basically like spitting in the face of so many people while while rolling in your your pools of of simpson money yeah um like they have they've got merch um I also really loved the the artistic style of this. I thought that it was really creative. I loved all of the um the the, the fun poppy colors and like how bright it was and um I loved him like out in the street interviewing people and seeing how they felt about Hank Azaria voicing this character. And he worked really hard to get him on the show. And it still pisses me off that Hank said no, even if he came around in the end. Like, this this could have been a really interesting moment for him to do this without having to, to back apologize so much as he has now after this. You know what I mean? Like, he could have put this to bed right here. But instead he was like, what if we met on my terms instead? Hey, you know, I guess at least the growth came. At least I mean, it did, it did come. But sometimes you have to acknowledge when growth comes late. No, that's fair. You know, it took you so long to grow. That's a, that's your fault. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so if you had to, to rate The Problem with Apu out of five, what would you give it? Um, I think I'm going to give The Problem with Apu a four. Um, I think that as, as much as I really enjoyed it, there were times where I, I felt like it either needed to be shorter or it needed to be longer. That's fair. You know, I felt like it was kind of this weird... I could have let it hit an hour and that would have been good for me. Just yeah. another 11 minutes. Yeah, you know, it just, it, it it felt like this weird middle ground where I could have, like, had it been almost a 30-minute episode of something as well. You know, like, just really quick and, and snippy. Um, but I also could have had it go a little bit more into some of the, like history of minstrel and some of the progression of some of the oh my gosh i completely forgot about Whoopi and her her negrobilia Mm -hmm. oh my gosh i love Whoopi goldberg (laughs) that was probably one of the moments where i was like yeah (laughs) she's so weird but it's like fantastic um he gave her an apu (laughs) um uh does he sing and dance then he's a minstrel. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I'll give it, um, I'll give it a four. Uh, I, I, I had some, some issues with it. You know, I think that, um, I, I think that it definitely could have been a little bit longer. I think for me, I don't think that I would have gone shorter. I think that this length worked. I'd have preferred longer. No, I was just. I guess I was saying that it was almost like we could kind of cut some more fat out. You know, what's the harm now? We're already throwing commercials in here. No, yeah. Um, But I really enjoyed it for the most part. And I think that, again, I think it's a really great way to just, for for a person who doesn't get it. Yeah. 
And that's the other thing, you know, I think with both of these documentaries, I think there's maybe an argument that they aren't for the people that are, are talking about this stuff. You know, the problem with Apu isn't really aimed at an Indian American audience. No, because they understand. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this is... They've he's, already been called Apu Yeah, times. he's not explaining this to the people who are in the know. He's explaining this to the outside people to, to, to explain why they're upset about it. Yeah. You know? And I think that it's the same sort of thing with Documented as well. Mm-hmm. Is I think that it's not so much for the Filipino audience or the, the Asian American audience or the undocumented audience. It's for the American audience that doesn't understand this issue, that doesn't see the humanity of it that doesn't see the the just sort of simplicity of the issue at times you know no for sure um i mean and also it's kind of um you know if you are a part of these communities it also can probably feel more um finally i'm not alone in this this thought process finally mm-hmm. you know i'm not the only one experiencing this and in creating validating like a, yeah exactly exactly and that can be helpful as well but to your point these aren't for the people who are mad. Primarily. No, yeah. These are for the people who just don't understand what the what the fuck people are on about. It's an educational tool for America. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is... I think that both of these were um, legitimate resources in that department for if I wanted to present this to somebody to, to educate them on, a, on an issue. You know, I think that either of these would be appropriate... Um, tools for for understanding what the big deal is. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I guess we should go ahead and start moving into wrapping up the show. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's do it. Let's put a bow on it. So, I only have a few little bits that I wanted to sort of bring up. Um, the the first thing that I wanted to bring up was Netflix has gone and citing their slow f- first quarter earnings and some of the economic slowdown that has occurred inside of Netflix. They have gone in and laid off uh, several people. They've laid off 150 people, primarily U.S.-based employees, some people with some of their marketing departments, some people inside of the working departments of certain shows they've canceled with this layoff also three animated shows in total um but furthermore on top of this happening this is also all on the heels of uh a memo going out discussing a switch in netflix corporate culture okay And they went in and updated some of their language and statements and stuff like that. And in one particular part of this very long webpage on on Netflix's uh, jobs page is this section called Artistic Expression. Uh, And it says, Entertaining the world is an amazing opportunity and also a challenge because viewers have different tastes and points of view. Uh, to make, to help members make informed choices to what they watch, we offer ratings, content warnings, and parental controls, blah, blah, blah. Not everyone will like or agree with everything on our service. 
While every title is different, we approach them based on the same set of principles. We support the artistic expression of the creators we choose to work with. We program for a diversity of audiences and tastes, and we let viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. This is literally just them being like, we can have really aggressive, offensive things. Like Dave Chappelle, if like, we want. Yeah, because we have a little bit for everybody here. And, and because people want Dave Chappelle, and because we chose to work with David, we're not going to censor him. Yes, even if um, that means that we lose viewership. Uh, as employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. I think they're really selling it for themselves, you <clears> know? They're they're really making me as an artist um, feel heard and represented and not shut up and take it and um, or you're fired. Well, and like this is also kind of in the in the same sort of wake as there being the 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 walkouts mm -hmm. recently for them continuing to support people like Dave Chappelle and some of these kinds of things. And so, I think that it's really I I do think that it is a little bit interesting that. Um, well, and, and they even went and, like, it, it goes a little bit further than this. I didn't want to go and, and put it together without having, having everything kind of fleshed out as thoroughly as I would like. But um, also inside of this whole corporate culture memo, they're essentially like a, we let you get away with so much kind of like Ew. attitude almost. They're like a bad like partner, you know, a bad relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever. It's just like a, ew, you know, I let you do this. So you should be grateful. Uh, like there's a thing where they're like, as far as, you know, what you're supposed to spend on the show we have very clear rules you know like do what's best for the show like it it's their language i find to be very uh i'll, I'll just say interesting for, for the time being it's worth a look if you're curious like i said you can go and you can find this thing on the jobs page it's jobs.netflix.com slash culture i like that they put find, slash culture there you can find this whole whole thing all about their new corporate culture and i love the fact and that they have some stock photos of people in like hanging chairs like oh look at how nice it looks to work here look at all these plants yeah so that was what i wanted to bring up because it's always interesting and and it's it's something that um is also always worth watching you know in the media landscape especially as we've talked about you know, these these streaming services aren't monoliths. And so Netflix performing worse than expected, while it did have some reasonable explanations, including cutting off service to Russia, um, it did also sort of ruffle some feathers and, and signal some people sort of like, maybe this thing isn't airtight, you know, kind of Well, I mean, feeling. with statements like that, they're basically like... <laughs> You know, 
what what's stopping them from just becoming Pornhub? They're like, well, you know, not all content is going to be appropriate for all people. Well, you just have to suck it up and look at that person suck a dick. You you would think so, but you know, also we're kind of running then headlong into sort of this like moral panic prudishness thing where like multiple times in the last few months, month or two, I've seen on two different two or three different days, whole days where where part of, of film Twitter was just dedicated to people and film Twitter isn't real, you know, and it's not reality or a large swath of people. But large parts of film Twitter people being like, I don't want sex scenes in movies. They make me uncomfortable. But everybody was wet for <laughs> Game of Thrones. Everybody was was guzzling down Game of Thrones like so, so hard. They were like, "Have you seen the first season of Game of Thrones?" Um, so I th- I think that you know, and you look at HBO and HBO used to have softcore porn, and then once they got bought by AT and T, baby out with the bathwater. I think it's like, funny that they're like, "Oh, sex, dirty, disgusting, filthy things," even though it's all in the Bible, and um, and even you know, though we're going to use it to sell these Hardee's burgers. <laughs> no, yeah, we are going to do that. Going to have Kate Upton on a Corvette eating this thing with flames in the background. <laughs> but like. But but we're not gonna have that. But but the transphobia, sign me right on up. Don't mind if I guzzle it down. That's right. Um, furthermore, uh, the only other things that I really wanted to bring up was we watched um, some new trailers recently. Yes, we did. Uh, the trailers just dropped for She Hulk and Prey, the new yes. Predator film. That is the name of that film. She Hulk looks. Fine. <laughs> I like that you said fine, and I was like, cheap. <laughs> well, come see, come suck. Oh, gosh. It looks, it looks, it looks like they were like, well, we've got them hooked, guys. We don't have to try anymore. I guess the thing that I don't get, as, as, as a, as a fan of the Hulk character, is... Why did we need to go to this place of, like, Hulk and Hulks and things to do with Hulk characters are all funny? And Hulk is now a comedy character. And, like, you know, I I really truly think that part of it was just that, like, most people don't know what the fuck to do with the Hulk as a character. There's only been one movie in the MCU that really did Hulk from the comics and from some of the you know the 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 hulk character the way that i know him and and have enjoyed him for years and that was the avengers movie 2012 mark ruffalo's first outing is the hulk i think is like the best portrayal of the hulk in a movie and bruce banner in a movie well yeah i mean but you know you don't really have a lot of options because um if you're not willing to go back to the the old ones where it's just some muscle dude with some green paint on his body um, then you're really just, it's either that or it's the Ed Norton movie, which is... Or the the Eric Bana one. Yeah, and like, I think that all of those kind of pit the same kind of tone of, of what, what a Hulk, you know, story is. You know, very serious, but now to your point, it has gotten to be be funny for, for some reason. I'm not sure why, I'm not sure if anyone actually signed up for this and everybody was just like, we need more content. What's another character who's the Hulk? I know, let's just go through the plethora of Hulk adjacent characters. Oh, look, a cousin. Well, and, and you know, like, 
How did how did she become a Hulk? Did did he accidentally give her blood? Like what the what the hell? It's not genetic. It was a science experiment. And you look at the Marvel movies and the the four Avengers were always Thor, Iron Man, Cap, Hulk. But the movies really ended up treating, especially once you hit like Infinity War and Endgame, the it was the Trinity. You know, it's it's Cap, uh, Thor, and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Hulk is not a part of that. Hulk ends which up is, getting relegated to to background status. Which is you know? which is so sad because Mark Ruffalo is fantastic, and I think that after that first outing, they really just didn't know how to write for the Hulk. They didn't know what made Bruce interesting, and so they just started to make him awkward and funny. Yeah. And and now they just you know he ended up being like the butt of a lot of jokes which is really unfortunate because to your point i think that the the whole characters are very interesting um uh a battle with 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 anger as a as a as a you know as a source you know deep deep down extreme anger i think that that's that's a relatable thing and is something that people do have to manage and now we're just like Oh, he's just Bruce Hulk, and and it's just happy-go-lucky fun times, and it's an '80s sitcom. He's got tacos. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? And I just, I absolutely, I, I think that they should have just either kept her big or or had some reveal at the end that like she is also a Hulk because like I just, I think that it looks really bad. The the constant jumping back and forth, at least in the the the, the trailer that we saw of her like being big in some scenes and being regular sized i think that they did not know what they wanted her to look like when she became green and so she just kind of looks like green huge barbie yeah like she's got perfect hair but it doesn't like she doesn't look like she's a part of any scenes but that's why i mean it looks cheap they didn't have the budget to literally smooth out those lines that much more yeah um prey is just a teaser and it just promises that it's a, a predator movie with Native American people. Oh, uh, yeah. Tune in on August. And that's like, it's it's 40 seconds of that. Yeah, I mean, all you see is, you know, two people, one person running, and then they get pulled down by a person who's hunting, a person who's hunting. Basically, you know. Who's being hunted. Yeah, hunting the hunted hunters. Um, and that's that's literally all you get. Um I'm not even sure when this is supposed to be set. It's, it, it is a pre- it's a prequel. So it's, if I'm not mistaken, this is even like before American like colonies were a thing. Okay, okay. Um, so this is like pre-1600s, I believe. Man, I mean, they should have just done this, but like done it in Roswell and then had this be the alien that's in Roswell. Um, is the predator. I'm, I I've pretty, got a lot of ideas, guys. I'm pretty pumped our main, it's, a main woman, the woman that gets pulled down is our main. Okay, okay. Um, and she's played by Amber Midthunder, who um, is in the show Legion, and she's great in that show. So I'm pretty pumped about her involvement. I think I'm more interested in this than the Top Gun remake, just because at least I've seen Predator. Yeah. What? Hey, man, I'm not going to get into, into Top Gun right now. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to get into anything. I wasn't planning on it. I was just saying. Um, beyond that, 
Uh, I don't really have anything else that I wanted to bring up. Dear, do you have anything else that you wanted to bring up? Um, uh, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know about news or anything, but we've already gone through stuff. Um, There's not really, I was thinking about having us do what we're watching, but we haven't watched anything other than like Jeopardy between... You, I went and looked at the list after Joy Luck Club and Minari. It's documented in the problem with Apu. Um, oh, that's right, because we went out to eat for mm-hmm. for date night this week. Yeah, so we don't we don't have anything. I I watched I watched Empire Strikes Back this week. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Yes. Sorry, I like. <laughs> literally zoned out looking at our wedding photo um (laughs) yes um empire strikes back the wait the second one the the of the 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 original original trilogy yeah the fifth one yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i watched it uh the numbers always confuse me but that's that's my personal problem it was a great Um, movie uh, fantastic fantastic for you no hell of a time um i'm i started up return of the jedi but I'm not too far into it, and I got I got sidetracked with other things. So that's all that I've been watching lately. Ah, I haven't watched a a whole thing other than Jeopardy. Yeah, but I mean Jeopardy's been Jeopardy's been good. Um, yeah, Matei is gone, so now um, it's it's just a slew of randoms now. Yeah, um, I think the the math teacher won the last episode that we saw. So yeah. I don't remember his name. Um, we will miss you, Ken. Uh, you have been loved by by our family. <laughs> Ken Jennings is fantastic, um, and will always have a place in my Jeopardy heart. Oh, Captain, my Captain. That's right, man. Ah, oh, gosh, Ken Jennings, perfect. Uh, but he I guess, deserved those cufflinks. <laughs> but I guess that's all that we pretty much have for y'all. As always, please go and drop us a review. Follow us on our social platforms the film buds podcast uh dot com at the film buds podcast on instagram the film buds podcast on twitter and um yeah send us any questions that you have at our email the film buds podcast gmail.com also be sure to check out the previous episodes that we've done we might have a bonus episode coming out i'm trying to uh do a little bit of work on on scheduling that um but yeah, be sure to do all of that, follow us, and be sure to come back next week for our last episode of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye! Bye.